It's good to be back with you. I was in Cork preaching last Sunday. And let's pray as we come to his word. Revelation chapter 5 this morning. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word transforms lives. Your word is inspired. Your word is infallible. Your word is life. And so, God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that the Holy Spirit who inspired that word would apply it to our hearts, that we would be transformed to be like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. There's a story of a security guard working in a factory. And at the end of the day, a man comes out with a wheelbarrow. And it's covered over, there's something in the wheelbarrow and it's covered over and he thinks the man's stealing something. So he stops him and says, will you let me see what's inside the wheelbarrow? And he opens it up and there's just a bit of rubbish, a bit of rubble, a bit of dirt, nothing important or precious in the wheelbarrow. And he waves him on. Next day, same thing happens. Guy comes with the wheelbarrow, walking through. Security guy stops him. There's something covered over, nothing there. Waves him on. Day after day, this continues to happen. And the security guard's getting more and more frustrated because he knows this guy is up to something. So after about a week of this happening, he stops the guy with the wheelbarrow and he says, look, I don't care what's there, okay? I don't care what you're stealing. I'm going to let you off with it, but I just need to know, what are you stealing in that wheelbarrow? And the guy looked at him and said, you've got it all wrong. I'm actually stealing wheelbarrows. It's easy for us to get so focused on what we think is happening that we miss what's really going on right in front of us. And that's really what the book of Revelation is there to show us. That our lives here on earth, and indeed the whole of human history, there's what we see. There's the physical, visible world that we see, that we taste, that we touch all around us. And that's what we focus on. But there's actually something more than that. One phrase I keep saying is there's more to life than meets the eye. There's an invisible spiritual world that was there before the physical world and it is directly impacting and influencing what is going on in our physical visible world. But we get so caught up in what we can see that we miss what we can't see. And so in the book of Revelation, the word revelation, as we've said, simply means apocalypsis and it's a word that means unveiling or pulled back. The curtain is pulled back between the visible and the invisible world. And this aged, 90-year-old follower of Jesus, the Apostle John, who's exiled on the island of Patmos because of his preaching, he gets to see behind the curtain. He gets to see the invisible and the spiritual world to try and make sense of what's going on all around him right now. And, and, and throughout the book of Revelation, this is expressed through symbols and com- colors and numbers and imagery and we see that the unseen is affecting the seen the spiritual world is affecting and impacting the physical creation and last week Aaron uh, so wonderfully didn't he do a great job those of you who are here uh, just so pleased to have uh, new preachers coming through as well as people like Hazel who have been here. We want to raise up more and more people who can communicate the word of God. And Aaron took us to chapter 4 into this great heavenly throne room where in verse 1 it says, come up here. We, we read that earlier. Come up here. The Apostle John is invited into the heavenly throne room. He's invited up to get a God's eye view of what's 
happening here on earth. We, you know, we have that song, I Can Only Imagine. I'm sure most of you have heard it. It's all about heaven. I can only imagine. Well, the Apostle John doesn't have to only imagine anymore. He gets to see it for himself. And there's this door open and he heard a voice and it says, I will show you what must take place after this. In other words, I'm going to show you the future. I'm going to show you what lies ahead. Because isn't that what most people want to know in the world? What does the future hold? That's why they go to fortune tellers. That's why they read their horoscopes. That's why they... they, 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 they try to interpret different things what's going to happen and what we see is that from heaven's perspective God is always in control at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it if you remember back to the introduction to this the whole reason the church is being persecuted is because of this emperor called Domitian This emperor called Domitian, he had a bit of an ego, he had a bit of a thing about himself. And he wanted to be called my Lord and my God. That was how you had to address him. You had to come and do some sort of sacrifice or some sort of worship of him. And you you had to address him as my Lord and my God. In other words, he was the one who he thought had supreme authority. He was the one who had all the power. He controlled people's lives and their future. But what John sees when he looks behind the curtain is he sees there's another throne. A bigger throne. A better throne. A longer lasting throne. a throne in heaven and there's someone sitting on it and it's not Domitian and it's not a human emperor and it's not a king or a queen. It is God. He hasn't emptied his throne. He hasn't vacated his throne. He hasn't abdicated his throne and nor does he share his throne. I have never seen a two-seated throne. There's only room on a throne for one. And, and John sees that there is one throne in heaven that controls everything and God is on the throne. Because that's really the question that, that these people in, in Revelation, and that's the question that people are asking today. Who's really in charge? We look at Brexit. Who's really in charge? <laughs> is anybody? We look at our own country. Politicians, who's really in charge? We look at America, who's really in charge? We look at the world, who's really in charge? Because sometimes it looks like nobody is in charge. Nobody's taking control. That everything is chaos, pandemonium, and random. And yet what we see when the curtain is pulled back, that in the midst of all the chaos and disorder, all around us, there is one who is still in charge. And his name is God, and he is on the throne, and he is ruling and reigning. And so we have this incredible description that Aaron brought us through this last Sunday, trying to use human language to convey the indescribable, trying to use our finite language to describe the infinite. And we saw at the end that the only response is worship. That when you see God as he really is, the only response is worship. And I, I, I you know... I love the whole thing of the Father, heart of God, and, and all of that, and intimacy with the Father. But I want you to see that, that what John didn't see was Big Daddy in the sky. He saw the God of God enthroned in heaven. And while I never want to get rid of the intimacy with the Father that the Bible teaches us, I feel like sometimes we've got so focused on that that we've forgotten about the majesty of God. That he is not like us, only a little bit bigger. 
He is enthroned in glory and splendor and majesty. And we can only worship a God who, when we see him as he really is. And so John sees this throne. In fact, in these two chapters, 4 and 5, the word throne is mentioned 19 times in 25 verses. And pretty much every single chapter from here on in Revelation talks about God's throne. And it's making a point, and the point is this. In comparison to God's throne, any other throne, including the emperor's throne, is pitiful. In fact, Domitian's throne is a bit like a sad parody of God's throne. It's a cheap imitation. In comparison to God, the emperor Domitian is like some little ant or some little bug shaking his fist and going, worship me, worship me, worship me. And God's going, that's how much I worship you. You think you're so big, you think you're so mighty, but your throne is nothing compared to the throne above all thrones. And some of you need to hear that this morning, that God is on his throne. He's the only one with real power and authority because you have things and people and situations and circumstances in your life that feel huge and overwhelming and crushing and intimidating and all-powerful. And it really just depends who or what you're comparing them to. The stuff in our lives is only as big as that which we compare it to. The emperor compared to every other human looked massive, but when compared to God, he looked sad and pitiful. There's only one God, there's only one king, there's only one throne, and there's only one person who is worthy of worship. That's what we see in chapter 4. And as we now go into chapter 5, if you like, chapter 4 was the wide-angled picture. It was the wide-angled lens, and now in chapter 5, the camera starts to zoom in, and we get to see Jesus. We get to see what's a close-up picture of what else is happening And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because that's what we said from the start. That this is not a book that is the revelation of the Antichrist. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Let's break this down a bit. I saw a scroll. It was a parchment. It was some sort of papyrus, and it had writing on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. In those days, a scroll was a a legal document. It was a contract or a will. And here's what happened, actually. Somebody gave me a scroll with a seal this morning, not knowing I was preaching on this. That's a sign in itself. And there's a seal on this. But, uh, But what would happen is, in those days, is... They would start, this is going to be hard with one hand, but they would, they would start writing and then they would fold it over and they would place a seal there. This is going to be hard for the people on the podcast. We hope to have video soon. Um, if anybody wants to contribute to that, it will be gratefully received. Um, and then they would write a little bit more and they would fold it over and they would put a seal. It was wax. You've seen them with a stamp on it. And they would fold it a little bit more and they'd put... And so when you were opening it, Once you were the one who had authority, you would read the first bit, you'd break the first seal. And then you would read a little bit more and you'd break the second seal. And then you'd read a little bit more and you'd break the third seal. And as you got through all the seals, the whole thing was open. And that's what John sees here. He sees a scroll with seven seals. And the question is this, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Not who is willing, 
but who is worthy. I think that's important. It's not who feels like doing it, because not everybody who wants to do something is worthy to do it or has authority to do it, but it's who is worthy. Only those with the proper authority can open the scrolls. So what are these scrolls? Scholars and theologians, I've read hours and hours of commentaries this week of scholars and theologians spilling a lot of ink, trying to decide what is actually on these thrones. Some of them think it's a title deed to earth. That when Adam and Eve were created, they were given authority over the earth, they were given dominion, they handed it over to Satan, and now Jesus has got it back, and that's what this is the title deed of earth. Others, and I would tend to probably go this way, would say that this is God's plan for human history. Past, present, and future. It's God's plan of redemption, how he's going to turn everything right side up. How God is going to take this earth that has been corrupted and distorted and ruined by sin and how he's going to purge it of evil and make things right. How he's going to judge it, how he's going to cleanse it. And it's the complete picture. That's why there's seven seals. Seven is the number that we're going to come to again and again. We've already had the seven churches. Seven represents completeness and fullness and perfection. Seven is completeness. And so this is the complete picture of God's plan for human history. It's an overview of the story of God from creation through to judgment to recreation. But they needed someone who could open the scroll. Because when you have a legal document, those of you who have made wills or whatever, you need an executor. Not anybody can go into the solicitor and say, can I see Johnny's will, please? You need to have your name down as a legal executor of the will, as somebody who has authority to open it and enact what is actually written in that document. And so here we have this scroll, but look at what we read. But no one, verse 3, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Imagine that throughout the whole of human history, every king, every prince, every celebrity, every ruler, every authority, every religious leader, every famous name, every philosopher, every scientist, every saint and martyr, every angel or demon, every king or ruler in history, not one of them was able to open the scroll. Not one of them was worthy. And it's all too much for John. Look at what it says. I wept and wept. Now that is not a man's little sniffle right there where we say, you know, just my allergies. Got hay fever. That is not. The actual words are he sobbed profusely. He wailed inconsolably. You know when you see some of those Middle Eastern funerals where there's been maybe somebody, Hamas have killed somebody or in Israel or, or, or Palestine, and they just wail and they scream and lament. That's the word that's used here. John is inconsolable because he's trying to make sense of what's happening to him, to all the pain and suffering, and he can't do it because nobody can open the scroll. You know, they say you can tell a lot about people by three things. What makes them laugh? What makes them angry and what makes them cry? That's true, isn't it? You can tell a lot by somebody by what makes them laugh, what makes them angry, and what makes them cry. 
And here John is sobbing his heart out. Because he wants to try to, he wants to understand why things are the way they are. And isn't that what we all want when we're in pain? We want some meaning behind it. We want to figure out the purpose. And we also want to know what's going to come out of it. A.W. Criswell, an old preacher in, in America, said this. If you'd put up the next slide. I thought this was a beautiful quote. John's tears represent the tears of all God's people throughout all the centuries. Those tears of the Apostle John are the tears of Adam and Eve driven out of the Garden of Eden as they bowed over the first grave, as they watered the dust of the ground with their tears over the silent, still form of their son Abel. Those are the tears of the children of Israel in bondage as they cried out to God in their affliction and slavery. They are the tears of God's elect throughout the centuries as they cried on to heaven. They are the sobs and tears that have been wrung from the heart and soul of God's people as they looked on their silent dead, as they stand beside their open graves, as they experience in the trials and sufferings of life, heartaches and disappointments indescribable. John was weeping his tears, but he was also weeping for every saint throughout the ages who has gone through pain and is trying to make some sense of it. But look at what happens. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll on its seven seals. It's okay, John. It's okay, John. Chill out. Calm down. Dry your eyes, son. Because there's someone who is us in the message version. There's someone who is able to open the scrolls. There's a lion of Judah, the lamb who was slain. He descended to heaven. And, uh, sorry. <laughs> we better, we better old school Robin Mark there. But the Lion of Judah has triumphed and because of his victory he is able to open the scroll. And John says, okay, where is he? And he turns around and he's expecting a lion. A roaring, majestic lion. And what does he see in verse 6? Then I saw a lamb. What? (laughs) I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Instead of a lion, he saw a lamb. And do you know what the, the original word is here? It's a pet lamb. It's not even a big lamb. It's a pet lamb. It's like a wee lamb you'd bring home. And it's not just any lamb. It's a lamb looking like it had been slain. The, the original word is slaughtered, butchered, throat cut. It's a, it's a lamb that has been slaughtered. It's a blood-covered lamb. It's a sacrificial lamb. Remember what John wrote in his gospel? When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he was speaking from the prophet Isaiah, who had prophesied about the Messiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
And so John is expecting to see a lion in all his ferocity and power and authority and dominion, but he sees a lamb. But here's the thing. The lamb looks like it's been slain, but he's not dead. Because a slain lamb would be on the altar, but this lamb is standing on a throne. A slain lamb would be lying there, but this lamb is active and moving around. This lamb was slain, but he didn't stay dead. He conquered death. He rose from the grave. He defeated hell. And he rules and reigns in supreme power and complete authority. And that's why it says the lamb has seven horns. I have never seen a lamb with seven horns. Now remember, this is imagery. When we get to heaven, we're not going to see Jesus with seven horns, okay? This trying to convey something. Why does an animal have horns? It's to do with power and authority. Why the number seven? What did we say about seven? Completeness and perfection. So what it said is this lamb that looks like it has been slain has complete power and authority. It also has seven eyes. What do eyes symbolize? Vision, be it wisdom, um, being able to see all things, all knowledge. So we have seven horns, he's all-powerful. He has seven eyes, he's all-knowing. And then the seven spirits of God that go throughout the earth, in other words, or he's all-seeing, the seven spirits of God that go throughout the earth, he's everywhere. So what is this saying? This is saying that this lamb that looks like he has been slain is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's everywhere. And what's the three things we know about God? He's omnipotent, all-powerful, he's omniscient, all-knowing, and he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. And that's why this lamb might look like a lamb that's been slain, but he is God himself. But he came to earth not as a lion to hurt people. He came as a lamb to take the hurts off people into himself. Jesus didn't come to earth as a lion the first time. He will return a second time as a lion. But he came to earth the first time as a man, as a lamb. He took our sin. He took our beatings. He took our punishment. He took our transgression. When he hung on the cross, it looked like he had been defeated, but he was not defeated. He laid down his life, and he rose again in victory and authority. And now he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing, and he's omnipresent, and he is going to come back one day and judge the earth. That is the lamb. He didn't come as a lion to inflict pain, but to absorb our pain. But one day he's coming back as a lion in judgment. He's still got the wounds up there. That's the lion and crown him with many crowns. Those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. Look at what happens. We're nearly done. Verses 7 to 10. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each had a harp. So some of those cartoons are right. They do have harps. And they eat cream cheese. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and to reign on high. Jesus shed his blood to pay the price that we should have paid. 
He took all the sin, all the filth, all the rubbish, all the crud, all the stupid, sinful, rebellious things that we have ever done and he took them into himself and he paid the penalty with his blood and he purchased us for God. There was no one else he could do. Who could do that for us? And that because of that, he has paid for us to be sons and daughters of God, a kingdom of priests who rule and reign in him. We are going to share in his victory. We do it now, and we invite others to share in it with us. And everything the world says should define us or determine us or defeat us, Jesus has already triumphed over it. Every sickness, every sin, every bit of suffering that seeks to destroy us, it will not have the final word because Jesus has already conquered it. Ultimately, we cannot lose because the battle has been won. The victory has been decisive. Jesus is not just Lord of my heart on the throne, but he's the Lord of human history on the throne. And no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how desperate you feel and how discouraged you feel, how disappointed you feel. We are a people of unshakable hope. Because we know that we are part of a bigger story. I've said this before. That my little story and your little story are part of a bigger story. And that bigger story ends in glory. That no matter what happens to us. Because you know what? Life is hard and life is harsh. And that's the reality. Life is hard and life is harsh. And sometimes it can feel like we're praying and our prayers are going no higher than the ceiling. But look at what this says. I thought this was beautiful. Where it says, Each had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Sometimes it feels like When you pray, God has taken your prayers or the angels have and they've trashed them in a bin. But really what they've done is they've treasured them in a bowl. And your prayers are before God on the throne. And it says they're like incense. In other words, they're not repugnant. They're not irritating. They're not a bad spirit. They are a sweet fragrance to him. I want when you're praying this week to imagine your prayers going up before and into a bowl before the throne of God. And he hears every prayer. And the Bible also says he stores up every tear. Every tear you've ever shed, every prayer you've ever prayed comes before the throne of God. But life is hard and life is harsh. And that's a reality until we see this come to fruition. Just this week, one of a couple who have been coming to us the last few weeks, Nigel and Lisa Foster. Lisa's sister died on Thursday or Friday of cancer. Same age as me, three children. She lives in Dublin. I had met her in Dublin. I was a... Because of the connections up here, when we lived in Dublin, I was asked would I go and minister to her and her twin sister. And she had fought the fight, but she went to be with the Lord this week. Some of you have friends, family members, that's happened to recently. Life is hard and life is harsh. And that's the reality. And for John here, life was hard and life was harsh. But he needed to know that this was not it. 
And he got his unshakable hope by knowing that this is not it, but there is one on the throne whose purposes will prevail. And one day, every tear will be dried, every sickness will be healed, and every person will be restored to the image that they were created to be. Because look at what happens. When the scroll is opened, what happens? His weeping turns to worship. When he realizes that Jesus is the one who is able to open the scroll, that there is one who has paid the price for our sins, who has reconciled us to God and has all of human history in his hands, he goes from weeping and that is transformed to worship. And some of us, need to get stu- we get stuck in weeping. And I believe God wants to say, yes, grief is important and it's important to go through it. But at some stage, you've got to move beyond weeping to worship. You've got to recognize that this is not it. That this life is not all there is. That your story and my story are part of his story. And that story ends in glory. I want to finish just with an illustration here. And it's an illustration I actually have used. I got it from a pastor called Francis Chan. I hope my son hasn't completely tangled this. And I, I, I used it once... The first funeral I, I did in Dublin was for a 10-month-old child. 10-month-old baby boy, an army boy at that stage was about 10 months, so it was very poignant to me. And everybody was talking about how short his life was. And what I was trying to convey is that, that life is short no matter how old or young we are when we die. And it's not sometimes about the quantity of life, it's about the quality of life. It's about the love we give and the love we receive. And so... I want to just, it's a very simple illustration. Oh, I'm going to kill him when I get home. There'll be another one in eternity when we get home. Jenny, do me a favour. Go down to the back. With this. Oh, oh, it's all right. It's as well you can sing. See, people who don't have video are going to miss all this. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I can still see you. Keep going. Imagine this rope is a timeline of your existence. And the white bit is eternity. And it doesn't, I know it finishes at the back, but imagine it just keeps going and going and going and going. And it wraps around the whole world many times. This is, this is eternity. The white bit is eternity. And this little black bit, that's your life here on earth. That's where you are now. And depending on how old you are, some of you are maybe here in the middle. Some of you are at the latter end. And we've got this whole eternity stretched before us. But this is where we focus all our attention. This is where we make all our plans. And we think, well, I'm going to save right through. I'm going to spend my life saving right through to here so that I can enjoy this last wee bit. And, And we get so upset about things that happen here and things that happen here and it's the end of the world if something happens here and, and this and this and this and we invest our time and our money and our resources and all of our, our effort and, and all, of, all that we are into making this the best it can be. When really God would say why don't you look at this and let this determine this. Why don't you look and have an eternal perspective 
Because from heaven's perspective, this is not it. From heaven's perspective, there is so much more. And so why waste your life only focused on this? On this little bit right here. Because this is not all there is. Because one day you'll get to this bit here at the end of your life. And you've hundreds and thousands and millions of years before you. With eternity, with God in heaven. And so let's sort out our priorities. Let's get things straight. And yes, we will have trials and we will have troubles and life is difficult and all of that stuff. But let's keep it in per- I just wanted something visual for you to see today. That your, whatever it is, is a blip on this. But compared to eternity, it's really nothing. And let's make sure that we invest our lives in the right things. Not temporary things that ultimately mean nothing. But on eternal things. So that when we go to see him, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me just read the last few verses as the worship team come up behind me here. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That was the biggest number they could come up with in those days. The, the word they use in the old Bible is a myriad of angels. We've got this little game at home, Elijah and I, where we'll, I'll say, I love you more than you love me. And he'll go, no, I love you more. I'll say, I love you a thousand. He'll say, I love you ten thousand. I'll say, I love you a million. He'll say, I love you ten million. I'll say, I love you a trillion. And he says, I love you a gazillion. I'll say, I love you a ten gazillion. He'll say, I love you a million, gazillion, trillion, zillion, gazillion. Do I win, Daddy? Because he's trying to come up with the biggest number he can in his little six-year-old mind. And that's about what they're trying to express here. That there's no number that can count the number of angels worshipping around the throne right now. That's a gazillion, mazillion, gazillion, trillion, billion, million. But look at what they're saying. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. How many words are there? Power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise. Seven. He's worthy of perfect worship. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth. That's us today. Heaven's listening for our worship. And under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them said, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. The elders fell down and worshiped. And the saints and hope community church said, Amen.